from what I'm hearing, Alberta is going to do a copy paste of what iGaming Ontario has done and what the AGCO has done. So if that's the case, then we're going to double down on the lack of evidence in this country times two. And then what happens in BC? What happens out east? Welcome back to the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. It is Thursday, September 7th, and I am your host, Steve McAllister. Almost everyone's back to work this week, back to work, back to school, back to the grind. And we are delighted to be back with you for these Thursday afternoon conversations after taking the summer off. We're going to be joined over the next hour by our guest and contributor, Amanda Brewer, Kinder Group, Mark Silver, Gavin Roth, and Mike Day from Parley Media Group are also expected to be with us. And we will finally, uh, last but not least, Phil Gray, the head of trading operations for Sports Interaction. Uh, Phil's going to be with us as well, and he's going to uh, he's also going to help us put the ball on the tee for the start of the NFL regular season tonight with the Detroit Lions and Kansas City to play the Super Bowl champion Chiefs. First, however, there's much to discuss from the summer that was, especially as it relates to the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario. Back on July 18th, our newsletter featured the headline, quote, all's quiet on the AGCO and iGaming Ontario fronts. Well, since then, both agencies have named new chairs of the board with Heidi Reinhardt moving over from the AGCO to become chair of the board at iGo. And Dave Forrestal also made a move to become the chair of the board at the AGCO, replacing Reinhardt. Uh, two weeks ago now, Dr. Karen Schnarr was named the new CEO and registrar of the AGCO, replacing the departed Tom Mungham. Shannard begins her new duties on September 18th, and we hope to have her join us here on the Gaming News Canada show in the very near future. Still, the, the big story since it was announced last Tuesday morning was the AGCO making its long-awaited announcement amending the advertising standards for the regulated sports betting and gaming market. The new rules, in case you missed it, effectively ban the use of athletes, celebrities, and social media influencers from appearing in advertising and marketing campaigns. The announcement has set off a wave of reaction across the industry and with media across the country as well. We have the latest coverage in today's newsletter, including an article by Mark Keast of CDC Gaming Reports, citing confusion over the new standards. And the Toronto Star's editorial board came out this morning in support of what the AGCO was doing. Let's just start, Amanda, with some of the conversations that you've had with other people in the industry since the announcement came out last week. Well, um, Steve, I think if you go back to pre the summer break for the Gaming News in Canada show, I think a lot of us who had never used active athletes, uh, specifically the um, current roster of NHL stars that some operators use, um, we had agreed that this wasn't going to be as big an issue for us. So if you were someone who had already inked a deal with Tavares or McDavid or Matthews, um, it didn't feel like, you know, for that handful of operators, it was going to be significant, but for the rest, not so much. Where we find ourselves in a bit of a conundrum is on the definition of what an athlete or a celebrity is. And in conversations with some others in the industry, uh, the AGCO has indicated in its initial news release that more guidance is coming. I know Paul Burns at the Canadian Gaming Association has sent a letter asking for the industry to be included in, you know, those discussions, get a seat at that table to figure out what that guidance document will be like, what kind of guidance needs to be provided, because no operator has any appetite to revisit the early days of the market launch when the inducement language was clear as mud 
and operators were getting fined for transgressing uh, those standards. Um, I do want to go back and just emphasize one thing very strongly. The fact that these standards have come out is not because a single operator was fined for violating any RG or deliberately marketing to youth um, standards or regulations. There has not been a single operator who's who's been called to the carpet um, and had any accusations levied against them. Um, these standards have been adjusted. You know, I'm trying to be a little generous in saying, yep, that clears up an integrity issue. If you're an active athlete for a sport that's betting, getting bet on, it's way clearer from an integrity point of view that you're not there shilling for an online operator. Um, I think it's it's a little less clear when you when you start getting into any of the other celebrities or or you know retired athletes or anything like that. Um, I think Rain Gretzky can still you know have his contract with BetMGM as long as he's happy to now pivot and just do RG ads. So it's 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 not a complete loss. But remember, this is really a complaint about the volume of ads. Um, not so much because operators were being accused of of RG transgressions in their advertising. So sorry, that was a long that was a long preamble, Steve. But you know, it's it's kind of the issue that that keeps kind of coming up and up and up and up. And it would just be nice if we could get that guidance document and just move on from it. Yeah, I think Amanda, you mentioned going back to the, the springtime and, and June when we were talking about this year. I, I think you've been pretty consistent with the fact that. Uh, banning the use of athletes and advertising during games probably uh, you know made made some sense sense and some, was something that the industry could live with. I mean, I keep going back to you. I, I mean, again, from an integrity point of view, this this change makes sense. It does nothing to address the volume of advertising, um, and that is not anything the AGCO has any control over. So, if the the conundrum is really with how many ads are being featured. And the issue last season seemed to be specifically around the NHL season. Then that's a conversation that has to be taken up one with the NHL and two with the broadcasters. So, you know, my hope is if this continues to be an issue for people, how do we start taking, putting the blame on the operators and 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 kind of bringing more people who actually control volumes of advertising into the conversation to find solutions? Um. You know, speaking of the volume, Amanda, one of the things we reported in the newsletter this morning was uh, Adam Seaborn uh, flagged this on X over the last couple of days, a, a CRTC ruling that's come down uh, that it's uh, effectively, uh, I, I guess, allowing networks, a simple way to put it, is it's allowing networks now to have more more minutes of advertising over, over the uh, span of an hour. And Mark Silver, I'll maybe get you in here to flesh that out a bit more, but Amanda's absolutely right. One one thing that this announcement by the AGCO last week, one thing it doesn't address and doesn't prevent is that we're we're probably going to still see the volume of advertising that we have seen. And if you just read the newsletter this morning, given the start of the NFL season this evening, um, there's certainly lots going on in the industry. Um, uh, the score introduced its fall advertising campaign. We had that in the newsletter this morning. Uh, BetMGM uh, has a new commercial with, with Jamie Foxx. And and no one's surprised. I mean, the people have been telling me this all summer that, that this this was going to be a very busy fall, and that the operators are going to ratchet up their uh, their marketing and advertising campaigns again. But Mark, maybe you can just walk our listeners through that CRTC decision. Yeah, I think it's symptomatic of a bigger problem, which is there, there's less subscribers, and so increase the ad load, 
keep as much revenue as possible. You know, it makes it makes logical sense. I think as Canadians, we need to really look south of the border and what's happening right now. In particular, this dispute between Disney and Charter Communications, how 15 million households in the United States didn't have access to ESPN and some other Disney channels over the weekend. What remains here is that in Canada, BDUs will begin to face pressure for subscribers wanting to keep their cable. And that will mean there will be carriage disputes. It does help that Rogers plus Shaw, Bell own a significant chunk of the market, but there are other players out there. You know, TELUS in particular, I guess Kojiko to a lesser extent, who potentially can set the market, call the bluff of the rising increased ad load, and make the bigger broadcasters, and, and not just Rogers and Bell, obviously, more accountable for the quality of the product that they are selling to the BDUs, and the BDUs in turn are selling to us consumers. And that inherently is the challenge of the ad load of sports betting related ads versus other ads. If the, if the broadcasters keep that kind of in check and proportioned the way they have, I think, I think things will be fine. It's overall, if you look at the macro issue is the eroding of the quality of the subscription programming available to Canadians and how much longer will we stand for it before we cut our cable. Phil Gray, I want to get you in here, not not necessarily to, to present sports interactions view on, on these new standards, but you're someone who's been in the industry uh, a long time now. Uh, you're, you're based in Montreal, so you're, you're not uh, not living in Ontario and would, would really love to get your thoughts. I mean, you, of course, you grew up in the GTA, but I, I'd be interested in your perspective as someone who's living on the outside right now. Thanks, Steve. I'm, I'm certainly, um, you know, a number of um, books, and including ourselves, have made a significant significant investment in, uh, you know, in uh, star advertising, as we like to call it. And we've seen some return, actually, for sure. Um, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I kind of, you know, I go back to the spring and, and even winter last year. Um, I wasn't, you know, I don't like to say, you know, I, I knew, but I kind of had a feeling that there a lot of stricter regulations were going to come to North America. And I think this is just the beginning. If you look at Europe and the white paper that was, you know, um, bantered about in uh, in the in the UK for you know deposit limits and, and even account limits, you know, not allowing a you know a client to have more than you know five hundred pounds in their account at a certain time, and that's you know, and they they did it with advertising as well. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised it came, um, but you know, companies made that decision to uh, you know to, to make the investment, and there certainly was some return. I found it at the end of. Um, the AGCO report there, a very interesting uh, point they put right at the end with, in, you know, with the ban on athletes, there, there's, uh, I think it's number eight, entice or attract potentially high-risk players. Instead, measures shall be in place to limit marketing communications to all known high-risk players. So, I, I mean, you know, how do you identify high-risk players? Is, is that someone with you, with you that, you know, plays regularly and, uh, you know, is, is down a considerable amount, even though, you know, you've done your due diligence, they can, you know, they, they can afford it. I find that interesting. Um, and I think it's uh, just going to be the start of uh, what we're going to see in North America. Amanda, I think, I think there, the AGCO mentioned there were like 38, 38 submissions with feedback to the original proposal back in the middle, middle of April. I mean, is there any indication from what was announced last week that that the AGCO listened and acted on the standards, and I, I guess you could say that uh, I know the Canadian Mental Health Association was among among the organizations to uh, to submit feedback. So it, it does seem that the AGCOs listened to uh, listened to uh, CAMH. But um, do you get the impression that the AGCO listened to the operators at all? Uh, you know, it's difficult for me to answer um, because I I have no 
inside knowledge of what the AGCO process was. I will say in the past, AGCO has certainly, you know, run similar sites types of consultative periods when they're considering new standards or changes to standards. Um, so, you know, on one hand, my assumption would be they did review um, everything that was submitted. Uh, I do know for a fact several operators did want to keep their athletes and had suggested that they be allowed to keep them if they pivoted to RG campaign. So the fact that we saw that change come out um, you know, would indicate that they did read the submissions. The fact that nothing else got changed is a little uh, puzzling, uh, a little frustrating, because we want to be able to operate with clarity in this market. And like I said, those initial operators that launched and the challenges we had with the inducement language, we never want to go back to that again. And the AGCO as I've uh, pointed out many times, is not a prescriptive operator. They are risk-based or outcomes-based operator. So it is not in their nature to provide step-by-step -step instructions for operators for any of their standards. But this is a time when this is actually required because operators want to be able to have the tools to market their legal services. We still have block operators that are in Ontario. It's very important that we are able to market and advertise our products, our websites, our brands, and point out that we are licensed and legally operating in the province. That's one thing. But the more that is taken away from us that the black market operators still get to use, it just makes it that much harder for customers to be enticed you know, back into a legal and regulated operator because we have way more checks and balances. You know, Phil was talking about some of the some of the changes coming in 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 Europe. Like KYC, if you were a pre-regulated operator in Ontario, you were doing no KYC when your client when your customer came in. You were doing it on the back end when they were pulling the money out. You were not doing it on the front end when they were registering and opening their account. So, you know, it, it just means it makes it a, an additional challenge for us. So, yeah, the, the hope is that um, at some point in time, uh, there will be absolute clarity coming on on those things that remain uh, a question mark for operators. And the, the you know, the, the guidance document was a welcome notice in the uh, news release. Why it wasn't ready at the same time, I have no idea. Because as you pointed out, Steve, those fall campaigns have started already. I had a couple of people reach out to me last week, Amanda, just you know, kind of asking um, uh, about branded content segments, or you know, if if uh, if a NHL player appears on a on a segment that's sponsored by FanDuel, or, or the example I'll, I'll use is you know, when on a Sportsnet Blue Jays broadcast, when Jamie Campbell does the segment with uh, with Bet Three Sixty Five, and they talk to someone about the game that night, and there's some odds pop up. There's does that mean that Jamie Campbell is is acting as a, a celebrity or or an influencer? And and Mark Silver, I think you're you've kind of had some of those conversations as well, and it's certainly a topic that you and you and I have gone back and forth on. But I, I think that speaks to some of the confusion out there on on what what defines an athlete and, and what defines a social media influencer. I think we have to break it down a little further, especially for retired athletes. I'm gonna try not to take sides on this, but. Now, depending on the athlete, is it, is it really fair to limit their ability to earn a living? Uh, because they should be categorized as a celebrity, perhaps, and not a retired athlete. And, that, and that's for athletes who are 
more so not broadcasters. If we look at the broadcasters, without understanding all the potential deals that are out there, if you, if you take an athlete or a celebrity and they work for a broadcaster, the structure of those deals could be very different. You know, they could be in a, in a sponsored segment as part of a broadcast and integrated media offering between the, the sports book and the broadcaster, in which case you might have a former athlete or a celebrity who's, who's in content on the network. But separate from that, you know, is that individual in a commercial? Is that individual putting up social posts on their account related to that sports book? I think that's when you have to question where exactly is the line drawn and then how do the broadcaster, the influencer, the, the agent, you know, representing the actual talent, how do they navigate this? Why are we shedding such a, a strong spotlight on this industry, especially when it's only the province of Ontario where these rules apply? Yeah, Phil Gray, I mean, Amanda's in a, she's definitely in a different position. I mean, Unibet takes a different approach of marketing um, and advertising. Uh, Sports Interaction has, you know, really hitched its wagon to uh, to athletes and, and, and sports betting content. And I, I just wonder, like, how, how many conversations have you been involved in over the past four or five months on, on this topic? Quite a few. Uh, I actually will take a side, though, you know, Steve. I mean, uh, you know, part of the Ontario, you know, argument, I guess, or, or position, you know, they don't want to entice children to to gamble. Well, number one, you know, a child cannot gamble. I mean, it's impossible that you could sign up for a site. Absolutely impossible. As Amanda said, with, you know, KYC regulations, even if they tried to get in, uh, you know, through a back door with somebody else. I mean, absolutely impossible. So, and would they be enticed, you know, because they saw, you know, Wayne Gretzky, you know, promoting something? I, I highly doubt it. Um, but then you go, as Amanda was saying, the volume of that. Now, I mean, if a child is watching Hockey Night in Canada, so they may not see their favorite hockey player there promoting a sports book, but they're certainly seeing an ad every, you know, minute and a half, which, I, you know, I hear from non-gamblers all the time, you know, people that you know, know nothing about our industry that, you know, watch sports and, and you know, the, the complaint is, wow, all these ads, I just can't take it anymore. So I find Ontario's position, uh, I don't agree with it. Um, and not just because I work for a sports book, I, I think it's draconian. And um, and just, uh, I think they're missing um, miss, missing the point here. It's, it's the volume of that. It's, it's not who's in the ad. The, the other issue, Amanda, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but the other issue that, that comes up is uh, we reported in the newsletter this morning about the British Columbia Lottery Corporation issuing its latest uh, uh, annual service plan report last week. And, and um, I think in the, uh, in the letter from the CEO, from Pat Davis, and then also in the report itself, it, it mentions uh, the impact that the BCLC believes that the, the advertising from the regulated market in Ontario has, has had on um, has had on their uh, their iGaming business and and uh, of course the BCLC is also part of the coalition with uh, I think it's four other four other uh, provincial lottery and gaming corporations now and and you know taking a stand I guess against what what they refer to as un, unregulated uh, gambling websites. Um, is that, you know, is that a topic of conversation within the industry as well? And is for, you know, you as someone who's been around the industry on a broader basis for quite a while. Um, I, listen, I, I'm just going to kind of <laughs> speak my personal opinion. I, I don't really care about the complaints from other lottery corporations. Um, you know, they have as much an opportunity to do what Ontario did if they want to tax and regulate the 
offshore operators that are providing services to their citizens. Um, I was agreeing with a lot of what Phil was saying. Um, I think what everyone has to realize is A, no operator is targeting minors. B, no operator is trying to market to minors. There's no way for them to open an account because of the KYC. So with all these great checks and balances, the RG that we have to, you know, the RG standards we have to abide by, you know, it, it, it's a much safer gambling environment. I know that's not what people who are irritated by the volume of ads believes, but it is because of the standards we have to we have to adhere to. What BC and the rest of those, you know, lottery corporations are trying to do is bury their heads in the sand and not address the issue. Ontario, BC, and all the rest of the provinces were gray for an equal amount of time. Operators have come in and provided services for as long a time as they were doing in Ontario. The only way to effectively deal with that activity is to license and regulate as many operators as want to come in and get a, a license in your market. That's the only way to deal with it. Sending letters out that you know make erroneous accusations about operators or actually completely you know making up things that they are allegedly doing in other jurisdictions is quite frankly not helpful to anyone. Now. From the point of view of someone sitting in another province, seeing, you know, any advertising coming in. I mean, I was in Edmonton last year and I was sitting in a restaurant and a Bet Rivers ad popped up and it had the iGaming Ontario logo on it. It's a completely legal, you know, ad to be shown in the province of Ontario. I understand how you would be irritated looking at it at some other province. But again, that's not the issue of the operator. That's the issue of the broadcasters and the way they package their ads. So going back full circle, I think if we want to address all of the issues, the people who are upset that there are too many ads, the people who are upset that the ads are being shown in other jurisdictions and not in the jurisdiction where they're licensed, you know, the people who are under the impression that we're going to be corrupting a whole bunch of minors, you know, gee, I wonder what we can do to address all of this. Can we bring the broadcasters to the table? Can we ask the broadcasters to change the way they package their ads? Can we put out a public education campaign that talks about the safety, the safeguards, the guardrails that we put up as operators in this market, those of us who have a license, and the fact that you know, we don't market to minors. We can't, minors can't open, you know, accounts with us. You know, we don't market to vulnerable people. If there are people who are experiencing, you know, worrisome signs, we have all kinds of back-end systems that are monitoring their play and we can intervene at multiple points of time. And we do intervene to make sure they're aware they can get help. There's all kinds of things we can do, but in my opinion, um, we as an industry, um, our government, our regulators have done not a great job at educating the public on what this license means in this province. And I think if we had some other stakeholders coming to the table, the ones that are kind of causing the issues that the public is really upset about, that would be really helpful too. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, Steve, I, I, you know, I, I totally agree with um, Amanda. You know, some of the language that, you know, preceding um, the Ontario uh, um, um, motion, you know, to, to regulate and and that and and still and, and it's still prevalent now. I mean, I mean, some of them are just wild. I mean, I've been involved in this industry since two thousand and three. You know, I was I was I was in the gray market, what was considered the gray market. You know, the, the heyday of, of the Costa Rican books and that. Absolutely, you know, for sure, there was a few. You know, for lack of a better word, you know, the, a few scam books, but certainly in the absolute 
minority. Most of the operators that were operating in, in the gray market then that are now, you know, um, licensed and in, in, in regulated in Ontario and some that aren't and that are still operating, you know, we've had, uh, we've had KYC for a number of years. Absolutely, a number of years, and we've had a, we've had our own. Pro and I know a lot of other books are, are too. I'm not just I'm not just talking about our book. You know, we've we've had that responsibility for a number of years. So it, it kind of gets frustrating. You know, when you you know you hear government officials, you know, accusing us, you know, with funding terrorist organizations, and that's you know that's an actual quote. You know, uh, you know that that, that we're somehow uh, you know uh, money laundering for for um, you know criminal entities and that. And it's just not the case. I mean, yeah, there was a few bad apples, but it's it's not the case anymore, and it's not helpful. And as Amanda said, you know, the whole process with Ontario was muddy. You know, and and it still is to you know a certain extent. And um, it took a long time, and it hurts. It hurts some books, you know, for sure. The, the compliance process it was you know it was like nine hundred pages long. And they weren't clear on a lot of things and you would you would do stuff and then go back to them and they said well no you have to do it this way so yeah i mean it's it's interesting what's happening but i, I just don't you know that, and it goes to you know what's happening right now with you know the ban on athletes and that um there's allegations that are made they're, they're just not true a word from our sponsor the Gaming News Canada show is presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com forward slash gaming. Now back to the show. Amanda, what Paul Burns was on the podcast last week, and one of the things that Paul addressed was um, the the lack of evidence based research research yet on on the the the, the impact that that you know commercials and, and athletes and celebrities have on on gambling problems or gambling uh, addiction. And uh, Dr. Mike Narain from Brock University, I think, is listening in today. This, this, we had this conversation with Mike, I think, back uh, last winter. Or, or last spring, um, you know, where, where, maybe not you necessarily, but where, the, where does the CGA sit right now? Like, is, is do you believe that there is enough uh, research out there, or, or are, are there efforts being made to come up with that research? Uh, first, hi to Mike. Um, I, emphatically, no, there's not enough research. Um, I did see an article. It wasn't a great one. It came out last week because they referred to Bet360. So I guess there's an operator there with five days of the year where we don't place any wagering or gamble. Anyway, um, and it was, um, you know, there was an MP pushing back asking where the data was. Now she was approaching this from the point of view of we didn't do enough, but she was asking where the metrics were that made the AGCO make the decisions they did in in the revised standards. And those are questions I know for sure Paul, on behalf of his members, has been asking the AGCO to kind of, you know, come to the table and answer because we're all very, you know, we're all very happy to continue to improve the way that we responsibly market our products and services in this province. If there are better ways to do so, um, then we'll do it. But we'd just really like to see the evidence. And that has not to my knowledge, been ever produced as a as a kind of impetus for these specific standards. But also there's been no research done overall since this market launched in terms of anything. So Mike has talked about this um, extensively before as well. 
um, the CGA is a big advocate for it. It just, you know, it, it's just really going to take some stakeholders to come together and make it happen. Mike Noreen joins us. And, and Mike, since since we last spoke with you on the podcast, um, uh, you know, back in I think April or April or May, I mean, I know that you're you're you've been following this issue very keenly and, and you've been chomping at the bit to get uh, to get Brock University involved in research. And I believe your counterpart, Dr. Sherry Bradish at Toronto Metropolitan University is also uh, feels the same way as, as you do. Has, has there been any movement at all? Yeah, no, Steve, thanks. Thanks for uh, inviting me on again. And uh, I just want to preface by apologizing for not being listening to the pod for the last little bit. It's been a busy summer. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, not not real not real changes happen on this front, and I think it's it's problematic for many of the reasons that Amanda and Phil have talked about. Um, that you know, there's a lot of quacking going on in this space, for lack of a better term, but not a lot of evidence informed decision making. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of the people listening to this pod and, and are, that are speaking on this pod, I, I think we all get it that you know a lot of the issues are about volume, about the lack of standards, about the ambiguity that exists in the space um but the challenge is and and so this is just piling on to amanda hey amanda so to amanda's point it does require stakeholders to come together and i think that doesn't just mean um people in the nonprofit sector researchers like myself and dr bradish like we're chomping at the bit right now I, i'll as, as a quick anecdote um i don't want to sound like doug ford here but you know I, i've got a grant out with the ontario government that's you know, they've got bigger fish to fry right now, but it's on iGaming and it's been sitting on their desk for the last year with no real uh, movement on it. And these are the sort of, of things that need to, to take place. I, I think there is space for operators as well to also stop. I'm going to use the term passing the buck as well and expecting, you know, the government, the regulators, perhaps other stakeholders to want to do it. I think you know, Paul Burns and CGA has a role to play here as well to say, look, we're going to actively fund research. And I know you want to stay arm's length. You don't want to necessarily do things in-house, but there needs to be a consortium of sorts. And, and Steve, you and I talked about this. If Rogers and Bell can come together in an unholy alliance back in 2010, you know, the third party operators in this province can come together to work on whether it's mental health, whether it's advertising standards, whether it's other pieces and I'll, I'll I'll pass it back on this point. You know, I'm hearing, and this may be completely anecdotal, completely you know off base, but from what I'm hearing, Alberta is going to do a copy paste of what iGaming Ontario has done and what the AGCO has done, um, at least you know from 2022 onwards. So if that's the case, then we're going to double down on the lack of evidence in this country times two. And then, you know, what happens in BC, what happens out east, that remains to be seen. But, you know, we need a lot more on the research front. Otherwise, we're going to keep having this conversation about, well, shoulda, woulda, coulda, or maybe we should do this, but without having the evidence to actually support the decisions. Amanda, do you want to respond to that? Um, yeah, no, just to say, I, I agree with, with Mike, and I'm glad he's still, you know, participating and lending his voice to the space because, you know, the CGA is more than willing to come to the table, you know, and, and help fund, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be the operators alone who do this. Um, so that's one. As for Alberta, 
Um, I know that um, there has been some discussions about, you know, operators, if, you know, Alberta wants to open its market fast, would kind of come in under the Ontario model. But ultimately, our, Alberta will have to write its own standards. There has been some public communication shared by the CGA to its members, um, showing that the Premier, Danielle Smith, has instructed her minister to finish writing their iGaming standards. So, you know, the hope is, the expectation is Alberta will write something that is, you know, their made in Alberta solution because ultimately they have to be able to conduct and manage because every province has the conduct and manage um, requirement, but they have to be able to regulate. So auto or Ontario standards may work temporarily, but whatever it is that Alberta adopts full time has to be something that they can, they can regulate, they can conduct and manage. So I think um, it's still too early to know for sure what that will look like in Alberta. Yeah, man, this is probably a, a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I mean, could could iGaming Ontario conceivably be that that uh, play a role in the Alberta marketplace, or is that that a non-starter because it's a, go a provincial government agency in Ontario? Um, it would. It, it, there's no reason that uh, Alberta has to set up uh, a regulator and then iGaming Ontario. That's a that's a made in Ontario solution that you know many people scratch their heads over. Um, the hope would be that Alberta would streamline those functions is up to Alberta to determine what conduct and manage means for Alberta. Um, so again, you know, the expectation is as Alberta is trying to get its market set up, iGaming Ontario comes in to fulfill that role. But you know, the hope is that Alberta will improve and make it, you know, better, whatever that looks like. I have no idea. Hey, Steve, can I just jump in for real quick? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, ab absolutely. And, and I just wanted to, to make it clear. Yeah. And you know, I don't think it's the sole responsibility of, of the operators in, in this province to have to find solutions to problems that, you know, is a, it's, it's a multifaceted challenge, you know, the, the, the topics du jour. I think one of the things that I, I personally would like to see from, from my vantage point as a stakeholder is, you know, something that they do in Australia really well. And, and I know we talk about England and Australia and how we need made in Canada solutions, but one best practice that I do see in Australia, which, and I lived there for three years pre-pandemic, is that the regulator slash the government will provide almost a bill to taxpayers um, saying for every dollar that comes in from this particular sector, aka from the from the iGaming sector, you know, 10 cents is going towards, you know, gambling education, mental health, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, 85 cents is going to all of these other, you know, education, healthcare, whatever the case may be. But I think the responsibilities on everyone here to really push for, you know, where are these regulatory fees going? You know, where, where, you know, 20% excise tax on every bet, you know, what's, where, where's that money going? Um, and maybe making it very clear to the public that, you know what, for every dollar spent um, or that comes into the government's coffers, you know, 10, 15, 20 cents is going towards responsible gambling education. And here are the specific initiatives that are being driven by the government, that are being driven by the for-profit sector. And I think that can help to alleviate some of the concerns because, again, some of these concerns are, they're legitimate, but there's a lot of talk without not a lot of knowledge. And so I really think that we need to start to 
maybe provide a bit more transparency to all stakeholders. And I think that's not just a regulator or a government piece, although it's primarily, it can also be driven from the operators themselves to say, look, we're a part of this conversation. And in order to make it sustainable, we need to educate the public. So please, you know, government regulators make this a standard that we have to uphold to as well. That's, uh, Mike, that's a very valid question. I, I think that, you know, the government, that there hasn't been any transparency on, on the tax revenue that's come in from the regulated market in Ontario, what that's gone towards. And I, I couldn't agree more. And, man, that's, that's a really good segue. I, I, I'm hoping I can get, get you to, to weigh in. Um, just the whole relationship between the operators the AGCL and the provincial government, and it's been a, a you know, I don't know any other way to put it, but a, a really strange summer. And and uh, you know, I've had several people tell me in the past couple of weeks that the AGCO actually had a release, a news release, ready to go out um, uh, back in late June or early July with with the new standards, and uh, the, the the provincial government stepped in and put the kibosh on that, and that that led to the, you know this two month delay in getting the announcement put out. Um, I've had half a dozen people tell me now the latest uh, yesterday during a phone conversation that uh, Wayne Gretzky, who's who's working for Bad MGM as a brand ambassador, uh, put a call into the premier's office uh, around the time that the new standards were about to be released, and and so obviously that leads to speculation on whether that that phone call um, led to a d delay in, in this being sent out. And then, you know, the the, the Karen Schnarr appointment as uh, Tom Mungin's replacement that, that uh, you know, people in the industry will tell you that there are some really good people in-house at the AGCO and they're, they're quite surprised and, and somewhat disappointed that uh, that position wasn't filled in, internally. Um, and then the last thing, Amanda, is just there, there seems to be a bit of a loss of confidence by the operators with the AGCO right now. And and perhaps perhaps I go that you know uh, uh, an industry that's kind of embraced con consultation from the beginning and setting up this market uh, that's been lost over this advertising issue. So I, I know I've, I've thrown a lot at you here, Amanda, and, and you you may not want to comment on this, but I, I just thought it needed to be mentioned. Yeah, thanks. I was trying to write down all your comments or your questions there, Steve. Um, I'll see what I can do. I guess. You know, speaking from an operator standpoint, this summer's behavior was a little hard to understand. It has not exactly been in the same um, in the same vein as what came before. You know, when you're used to a very open, consultative um, regulator who actually takes the time to consider feedback and isn't sort of very stringently marching forward with something that the operators are quite clearly concerned about. So I, I don't know enough um, what's, what was going on inside the walls of the AGCO to know what had happened. Um, I do know that, uh, <laughs> I hate to think Wayne Gretzky was worried about the loss of income from his Benham Jam contract and placed that phone call that <laughs> that would that's a whole other uh, podcast we can do on on that one Steve um but uh I I I I think it was good that for whatever reason it got paused um there definitely needed to be a sober second thought we can only assume that if the intention was to send it out when you first got notice Steve earlier this summer it was coming out in an identical format to what the consultation 
standards were. So typically the AGCO will send out draft you know, questions, they'll go back and write the standards and then they'll issue them. Whereas this case, we kind of got the standards. They asked us if we had any feedback. We sent them a lot of feedback. And my suspicion was it was just going to come back to us without any changes. So the fact that the government got involved, you know, there were a few more eyeballs on it, a few more questions being asked, and a small revision was made to the use of active and retired athletes, you know, them being now permissible for RG campaigns. You know, at least that change was able to happen. And I know that it came out now because the intention was always to give operators several months to be able to sort of phase out, you know, any campaigns that were then going to be in violation of the standards. Um, but this still doesn't feel like it was executed in the same spirit or or way that previous um, standards had been. Um, so I think that Karen Schneier's appointment... Um, she's quasi um, part of the family, if you want to look at it that way, because she was sitting on the IGO board of directors. So she would have a working relationship already with Martha Otten, who's the executive director. So she's not coming into this, um, not knowing anything about IGO, AGCO, or the industry um, at large. So I think we will probably find uh, Dr. Schnarr to be a very different CEO um, than her predecessors. Uh, I don't know her. Um, I hope I, I think I'll be appearing on a panel with her at G2E. Um, so that if that's the case, that'll be my, my first chance to meet her. Um, the hope is she'll be able to come down and start meeting some operators. Um, so I, I, you know, I think we need to give her time to settle in and to start, you know, sort of putting her stamp on things and, my expectation is from talking to people who know her quite well, um, we will start to see some changes in the way the AGCO approaches things when she kind of gets settled in. Yeah, but you're asking questions a lot of us have been asking each other um, over the summer, Steve, because, you know, again, how they were behaving with these specific standards just, you know, wasn't tracking with, you know, our prior experience with the AGCO. Great. Steve, can, uh, I, yeah. can, I, can I jump in for one sec with the comment? I'll, I'll be brief. Uh, no, go go ahead, Phil. Yeah, I, I mean, in fact, you know, again, to what Amanda says, you know, just the summer and you know some of the stuff, and from the for the beginning of the compliance process from Ontario, um, you know, there's a lot of us operators that have been, you know, we've been operating for a long time and operating responsibly as you know as good corporate, um, uh, good corporate citizens, and so I kind of have a pro problem, a real problem, being lectured to by by, you know, the province and, you know, their lottery corporation when, you know, for the last four or five decades, you can walk in any corner store and, you know, buy a 649, you know, 14 to million, one chance to win. It's heavily advertised. All the scratch tickets are there. They're all shiny, you know, out in full view of kids, stuff like that. You know, you come here in Quebec, they, they put um, video lottery terminals in, you know, low-income fixed-come areas and bars, you know, where you can drink alcohol and what and what's at the front door, an ATM machine. So, you know, kind of it's been fascinating the back and forth with the province you know they haven't looked at you know some of us you know and you know going through the compliance process we already had an in place you know dozens and dozens of measures that we had to go through with again which was very resource driven to go through that compliance process so yeah i just i get that off my chest sorry to be a little blunt nope oh we we like bluntness on this show phil in fact we in fact we demand it 
Uh, Amanda, last last question on this, and I really appreciate Phil's patience because we originally reached out to Phil to, to talk talk about some football and, and good old fashioned uh, uh, or black and white sports sports betting. But uh, it's this you know this this story isn't going away. Uh, it's a story that people have been talking about since uh, since April. So uh, we we need to give it uh, due attention. Amanda, there's a there is a six month I, I guess grace period here before before this uh, these these rules come into effect or, or some of the rules. Um, do you expect that that anything will change over six months, or is it, is it possible, as, as you mentioned, with with new leadership at the AGCO, that we could be having a quite different conversation six months from now? Oh goodness, um, I I expect that before Christmas we will see that guidance document. It has to come out um, because if not, the AGCO will be funding or sorry fielding questions from every operator um, before they start planning any sort of Q1, Q2, 2024 campaigns. Um, because you know what is an athlete? What is a celebrity who's who's determining who that is? Like as Phil said, like does anybody under the age of thirty know who Wayne Gretzky is anymore? Probably not. But that won't stop you know someone else from accusing that operator of, of you know transgressing the standards. So they need to release that document much sooner than later. The, I thought the news release made some reference to in the coming weeks. Right. So that that would even suggest maybe even before G two E it comes out. Um, so I, I don't think, well, listen, I hope the conversation um, as we get further on into the fall and the winter is really about the clarity we now have, the confidence we now have to move forward with influencers, social media, you know, anything we're doing across any of the channels. Um, and the fact that, you know, we're now, you know, just going back to business as usual without having this hanging over our heads. So I think, you know, that would be my personal hope um and you know i hope i'm not disappointed hey uh mike Noreen, before before i go all hank williams jr and get ready for some football um just uh paul burns brought up at the canadian Game, gaming summit uh back in june that you know the fact that universities and schools were starting to reach out to uh to him and, and operators in the industry, you know, is talking to them about opportunities for students in certain programs. And again, I think we've talked a lot on in this in this forum about this new industry and and uh, you know the robust tech hub we have across this country and how this industry is providing job job opportunities. Um, have Have you been able to tweak the curriculum at all with with the sport management program at Brock this year? Are, are you bringing uh, a bit of an eye gaming component to the program? Yeah, it's a great question, Steve. I think um, yeah, and you and I have talked about this that the appetite for students to want to get involved in this sector has been growing. We, we've sent students on internships to the SCORE and to the OLG um, in, in the Sioux. So you know, clearly, and even points, but of course, that like there's clearly an appetite. Um, from our students to want to get exposure to the space. I, I think there is a, a, a gap that still remains in the curriculum. I, I think one of the things that both myself and Dr. Sherry Bradish at TMU has recognized is the way forward uh, for sport business, um, and specifically iGaming, is definitely in that graduate level. Um, and if you look at MBA programs, if you look at business schools in this province, and, and even across this country, you know, they still teach, you know, 
curricula that is from the 1990s and early 2000s. I <laughs> just a really quick anecdote. I, I had a conversation with someone at the Queens Business School, and he was still talking about the Enron case uh, when it came to governance. And so there are so many other issues, topical and contemporary, specifically iGaming, that need to be taught. Um, it is an uphill battle because for many, uh, well, in many cases, uh, these programs are run by older individuals who aren't necessarily in tune with industry, uh, current, modern uh, industry movement. Um, and so it is an uphill battle in some cases, but we are looking at new programs here at Brock. Uh, we hopefully in the next couple of years should have a new master's program in sport management that will have an iGaming component. Um, I do know that there are some certificates at colleges that are looking uh, that are coming out, but again, I still think it, it requires some more uh, resourcing. And this is definitely a provincial government thing, but it requires more resourcing to say, "Look, we don't have a sports gambling institute here in Ontario. That's a problem. Um, Alberta's got a gambling research institute. Ontario has nothing. Um, if we are going to encourage." investment into the Niagara region when it comes to land-based casinos, if we're going to encourage iGaming opportunities in the city of Toronto, if we're going to encourage OLG opportunities in Sault Ste. Marie, we need to have that investment made at the education levels. Um, and that includes maybe a gambling certificate at Gambling Institute and you know even research chairs uh, to look into the, these issues for sure. Great, thanks for uh, thanks for that, Mike. Really appreciate that perspective. And yeah, that, that's this topic's not going to go away, and, and we'll get you back on to, to talk about this as as uh, we move move uh, deeper into the fall. I, I want to get Phil Gray in here now, and and uh, and again, if anybody in the audience has questions for Phil about as we head into the NFL regular season tonight, just raise your hand, and we, and we'll let you ask your uh, question. Phil, I don't know if you had a chance to read the newsletter this morning. There was so much going on around the NFL this week. I almost felt a little sheepish for our subscribers with the amount of information and, and links I was throwing at them and images this morning. But I, you know, I did, just felt it was important to, to showcase how meaningful the NFL season is. I, I want to start. You know, the American Gaming Association came out with survey results yesterday that about 74 million Americans are going to bet on the NFL season, and you know, that's that's. 33% of the of the country was which is massive and a substantial increase from from last year and and obviously you you attribute some of that to the fact that we have uh, uh, legal sports betting uh, now in about 30 I think 35 36 states from a Canadian perspective I mean is it fair to say as I suggested in the newsletter this morning that there certainly there would be double digits when it comes to to sports bettors in this country or, or Canadian sports fans who are going to bet on the NFL this season well I'll, I'll tell you Stevie uh you know I, I don't think there was that many uh, less fewer people actually gambling you know a decade ago in 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 North America really I mean the, the amount of offshore options and and European um, options that were there I mean, um, yeah, certainly you're going to see, you know, a newer segment of, of, uh, of recreational betters, but it's always been there, you know, and as somebody who sat through, you know, all those years of, you know, every commissioner for every major league coming up and said, you know, you know, if we, we were, we were the evil scourge on sports, you know, it was going to lead to match fixing and, you know, people were going to go blind and grow hair on their hands if they gambled, you know, the only reason that the major leagues 
you know, took that stance. It was on no moral stance because they couldn't figure out how to make money off it yet. They didn't have the technology in place and now they do. So I find it again, you know, I, I hate to sound a little, a little angry today, but I, I just find it amusing that all, <laughs> of, all of a sudden, you know, gambling is great if they, everybody go gamble. But whereas, you know, even five years ago, six years ago before, um, um, uh, Chris Christie put the, uh, the motion to the Supreme court to, uh, hand the, uh, the power back to the States to decide whether or not they wanted to do it. I mean, the conversation then was, we, you know, again, we were, you know, we were funneling terrorist organizations and, you know, breaking people's kneecaps and that. So I, I find it amusing heading into uh, the 2023 NFL season. Hey, Phil, what, what gets you as a, you know, as a guy who makes lines and, and heads the, the, the trading team at Sports Interaction? I mean, there's there's so much talk now about micro betting and, 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 and play betting. I mean, what? What gets you excited about the evolution of, of betting around around the NFL? Yeah, certainly the uh, the evolution of, of in play for North America. I mean that that wasn't um, near um, as sophisticated and available as it was in Europe for many years. And North Americans, you know, they didn't take to it, you know, right away. Whereas now, um, in play is um, starting to, and it will very soon um, is going to surpass pregame betting, um, which, which you know I. I we kind of predicted, but uh, micro betting is going to be another story. Uh, I'm not sold on that. We've tried it. Um, it takes uh, takes a great deal of patience and uh, people, you know, sitting there, you know, um, and being absolutely focused on it. I don't think the North American appetite is there for that. Um, they they like very simple things, you know, get your pregame bet in, or you're watching the game, you know, Kansas City's down three. You know, I, I want to go through a hundred bucks there or something. Yeah, I don't know. If somebody's going to sit there. Um, in, in large numbers, you know, enough volume for us to, you know, go through the technology to offer it, that they're going to sit there, you know, through the whole game, you know, will somebody, you know, the fourth down can be converted or stuff like that. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sold on it yet. Hey, can you, can you pull back the curtain for our listeners, Phil, just on what things look like with the trading group of sports interaction on, on an NFL Sunday in terms of what, what people, what their roles are, how many people are around, are you all sitting, sitting in a room? It, it's something I wrote about in the star a couple of years ago, but I'm, I'm always kind of fascinating, fascinated with how, uh, you know, the old, the old phrase about the uh, sausage getting produced. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, when I started, you know, we had no automation, uh, no feeds, um, it was completely manual. So obviously we had, you know, far less markets to offer. And now, I mean, you can bet 400 ways on an NFL game. Whereas back, you know, in the two thousands, it was maybe, you know, a couple of dozen. I mean, just, you couldn't do it. And the technology wasn't there. And, but you know, the technology is just, you know, it's gone at just light speed in the last decade where, you know, a lot of the books run on feeds. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff is automated and you, you see that um, what, you know, if you look across the market in the NFL right now, you see a lot of homogenous lines, everybody's kind of hanging the same line well you didn't really see that you know back kind of when i started books took more opinions but the corporate policy now is you know you just stay with the market and you know hope that you're on the right side you get a couple of upsets and uh you know kill some parlays and and you know make it out in the end so it's, it's changed in in the in that sense so technology is you know you absolutely you've lost some drops for sure you can you can operate on a much smaller um staffing than, than you used to be able to and uh, actually you know some books don't even have a trading stuff it's completely automated and on a feed do you uh do you kind of miss that i mean to me it's a lot like uh in, you know mike day and mark silver and i've had some experience working at olympics where 
there's a real high to being in a in a newsroom with with you know 35 people or in Mike's case during his time at TSM where it would have been more people than that but there's a real adrenaline rush when you're working on a big event like that was there do you, do you kind of miss that rush of having a bunch of people together on a football Sunday I still do it actually and I saw a good team here I mean we've been actually we've been remote since uh, since COVID and we're now you know fully remote everybody gets to work from home but back in the you know before um, COVID, we all, we all had to be in the office. But, you know, uh, I went into the industry completely green, uh, learned from the bottom up from, from some Irish bookmakers. And I'm a very hands-on bookie. I still, you know, on NFL Sundays, I, I, I turn off the robots and I do it by hand. Um, so I'm one of the few that still do it, you know, kind of kind of old school that way. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of fun, you know. And, yeah, you go back to the day, um, you know, what we were just starting out and, you know, a lot of uncertainty to that. I'll go back. I think it was... 2005 or 2006 on one NFL Sunday, um, the favorites went 12 and 0 against the spread and straight up on the money line. I, I, I remember going. I remember going in Monday morning. Do I still have a job? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's been quite interesting. Quite the ride. Hey, my uh, Phil. Last question as we wrap yeah. up. Wrap up the hour. Um, any again for this podcast? I always like to uh, to give some nuggets of information to people who haven't done a, a lot of sports betting is, is there any advice that you would give casual um sports bettors who are you know football fans and they they, they like to get their feet wet betting on the nfl yeah um you know depending on how recreational you are and you know and you know what you're you know what you can afford you know don't bet more than you can afford to lose i mean that's that's really as i you know that's that's the number one you know because I've, I've seen that over years you know, and you know, people. You know, they they um, you know, they get caught up in it, but uh, that I'm, again, that's a minority. Um, you know, yeah, just just you know, treat it as more you know a fun thing, and that's you know, cer- certainly you have you know professional betters, absolutely syndicates. Syndicates are huge now. That's what moves the line. You know, the guys that have you know they they hire 30, 40 people to you know open accounts and 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 hammer lines. That's when you see an NFL line move. It's a syndicate hit. Uh, but that I mean, again, that's been going on for twenty years. So, but I mean, as a bookmaker, that's your, you know, responsibility to manage it. Um, so, yeah, you know, treat it as more fun, you know, get, get a few bucks down on the Leafs tonight and, you know, just, you know, it makes the game fun to watch, right? Uh, great stuff, Phil. Phil Gray is the head of trading operations at Sports Interaction. Uh, Amanda Brewer is the Canadian country manager at Kendra Group. Uh, Phil and Amanda, uh, thanks so much for, for lending your expertise uh, this week and, and, uh, uh, a lot of information, a lot of lot of learning over the past hour. So thank you for that. Thanks to uh, Dr. Michael Narain from from Brock University. Glad you could join us, Mike, in uh, your first week uh, back to school. Wishing you well and your students with your uh, your first semester. Uh, thanks as always to to Mark Silver and Mike Day from from Parlay Media Group. Um, also want to give a special thanks this week. Uh, GeoComplies come on board as the presenting sponsor for the Gaming News Canada newsletter on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And as I mentioned on Tuesday morning in the newsletter, it's, uh, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in the fact that we have two Canadian companies now in, in GeoComply and Ulster Hoskin and Harcourt LLP um, getting involved in supporting supporting Gaming News Canada. It means, means an awful lot to us. So uh, special thanks to, to Steve Hoare and, and the marketing group at, uh, at GeoComply for, for putting their, their faith in a, in a few dollars in, in us. Um, these weekly hours on LinkedIn Audio become a podcast, the Gaming News Canada show podcast presented by Ulster Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. You can find the podcast on 
Substack at GamingNewsCanada.ca. You can also find it on the uh, the various and sundry uh, podcast platforms. Uh, and we will be back at, at one o'clock every Thursday moving forward. So please let your friends know. Uh, there's a lot of information shared in this hour. Some great perspective from people like uh, like Amanda, Phil, and and uh, and Michael. So. Um, please, everybody, enjoy the rest of your, your week. Uh, please be safe, and we will look forward to seeing you next Thursday on the Gaming News Canada Show. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada Show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.